0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you turn into Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11 to be the first passage that we're to, so you might want to turn to there. Uh take out your uh your outlines too and be ready with them. If you don't have an outline, get them right at the center doors at the worship counter, uh ministry counter rather. This morning in our series Stay on Course, I'm going to be talking about a touchy subject about a sensitive topic, about your wealth, about your money. And anytime you start talking about that as a pastor, people get kind of squirmy about that. Money might be the most sensitive and, and the most neglected area for many Christians, uh, but we, we need godly wisdom, right? And we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, going in all kinds of different passages, the book of godly wisdom, because that's what we need here. We need God's wisdom to confront us, to teach us, to guide us, to shape us with this issue, just like any other issue. If you're visiting with us, if you've here, been here for a very short time, you need to know we hardly ever talk about this topic, do we? We hardly ever talk about it. People can to tell you that. We hardly ever talk about it, but well, we need to. Because it's important, because it's rooted in God's Word, right? And this cannot be a, an issue that's taboo or off-limits, right? It cannot be like, like that, that we can't talk about it. We know why it's taboo. Because over the, maybe the course of, over the years, many times, You've been exposed to people who've come to you and even through radio or television or even in churches have come to you. In the name of Jesus, have asked you for money, right? And in asking you for money, they promised you things like wealth and riches and, and health and all kinds of things which never delivered. Because it never delivers. It never delivers. That is not consistent with the gospel. That's not what the gospel promises. It doesn't promise any of those things. So it has ruined our conversation our ability to have a good conversation. And listen to God's Word, what it has to say about our wealth. And and maybe many of us have heard this many times, but that Jesus himself spoke more about money than any other topic, exception about the kingdom of God. So it's important in the Word of God. You know, I have counseled many people over the years, and I've counseled them about all kinds of topics and all kinds of sins in their life. But I've never had anyone come up to me and say, could you please talk to me about my greed? I never have anybody come up and say that. And it's kind of interesting. Because we live in the wealthiest society in the world that no one ever comes out and asks that. So I think there might be a self-awareness problem with this issue. I think there also might be some blind spots that we all have with this issue. So we need God's word to shape us. And Proverbs is packed full of God's wisdom, amen, to guide us in our lives. But way too often, we don't want to listen to the voices with these pages in this book. We don't want to listen to what it has to say. And so we want to do, we're tempted to do, set our own course of where we're going to take our life and, and do our own thing and choose our own path and not choose the path of, of which Christ has, has called us to, the ways of Jesus, the ways of the Kingdom. We're not even the ways that are consistent with the Word of God. So sometimes along the way, we make little compromises and doing this and doing that. It takes us off course takes us off course with God, and we undergo it in places that were never intended to go. The same is the true with the issue with money. We do the same thing. That sometimes we make these decisions, these little compromises here and there with our money, and eventually maybe money becomes something in our lives that it was never intended to be. Or, or it takes us to places in our heads and hearts that it was never intended to go. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, said way back many years, three conversions are necessary and a person comes to follow Jesus Christ It's conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and conversion of the purse. The purse. And God gives us clear expectations for handling our money. And if you would be gracious with me today, I would like to share that with you. Is it okay? Okay to share this? I know it's sensitive. Four principles regarding godly wealth this morning I want to give you. And we're going to be hopping around from passage to passage. That's what we'll be doing in in this series, Stand On Course. We're looking at the collective wisdom from the book of Proverbs, about the topic that God has for us today, and it's about our wealth. So the first principle regarding godly wealth is this. Some things are infinitely more important than money. Some things are infinitely more important than money. Do you believe that this morning? Okay, you kind of sort of do, right? You sort of do. So by the end of this message, you're all going to say, yes, yes, you're, you agree with that. There are some things that are infinitely more important than, than money. And money is, is something that is necessary in our life, right? It's either good or evil. It's necessary. We need it. We use it. And the issue in Scripture is not with money, but it's the issue is the love of money, right? It says that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not all evil, but it says all kinds of evil. So it has the potential, money does, to, to bring out evil in us, right? But it also has the potential that to do good, too, right? So the wisdom of Proverbs tells us what's more important than money. And the first passage I told you to go to is Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. The writer writes, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One thing that is more important than money is righteousness. Righteousness is superior to wealth or or to money. You cannot buy your way out of a confrontation with the Holy God that you cannot buy your way from one day we're going to have to stand before him, uh, stand before our creator. And, and riches are no good in God's presence. You can't stand up to God and say, God, you realize how much money I've made. You realize all the, the possessions that I have. It does no good in the presence of God. It says we will stand there, it says. In verse 4 it says, Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The thing that will actually get us through, the thing that will actually uh, bring us into the kingdom of God, a, a, into his family, is righteousness, is what the Bible says is righteousness. And we find out, the rest of the story, in the New Testament, in the Scriptures, we find out that Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God, the Bible says. That Jesus is the righteousness of God. So He actually came to this earth, earth and He lived perfectly through his, uh, his life, His death, and His resurrection. And He overcame sin, death, and hell. And now the Bible says, if we place our faith in Jesus, of who He is, the Son of God, God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says, then his righteousness, it says, is then attributed to us. That we have the righteousness of Jesus now. So when we stand before our Creator one day, it's not our riches that will get us through, it's the righteousness of Jesus that will get us through, that is attributed to us through our faith, right? Through our faith in Jesus Christ. So righteousness is superior to money, the Bible says. Righteousness is also something that, that doesn't break down. I don't know about you, but anything you buy with money breaks down, doesn't it? I'll, I'll sometimes, uh, you buy something with money, you buy a, a car, a brand new car, and everything's all right. And all of a sudden, over the years, or just a few months, it starts breaking down, you got to replace things. My house is about 25 years old, and I've lived in it a little over nine years. And since that time, I've had to put a new hot water heat in. I've had to put a, a, a furnace in, an air conditioning in. We had to put a new washer, a new dry, dryer, a new stove, a new refrigerator, a new dishwasher, some new doors, some windows, because everything's breaking down. And soon I'm gonna have to replace the deck and in the roof, because it's breaking down. Everything we purchase with money breaks down, doesn't it? Everything, it breaks down. Sooner or later it's gonna break down. And sooner or later what happens is we throw those things in the garbage, because it's not good anymore. But what Jesus teaches us, that whatever, whatever is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever righteousness is produced through the power of the Holy Spirit, it never, ever, ever breaks down. That it's eternal. And it's used for his glory and for his good. That whatever we do. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where, where thieves cannot break and in and steal. So righteousness is superior to money. You agree with that? It's superior. The next one, wisdom is superior to money. Proverbs chapter eight, verse 10 and 11. Proverbs 8 10 and 11. Solomon writes, "Choose my instruction instead of silver." Let me pause there and let me ask you a question. If I was to offer you two things, and you have to choose one, first, I was going to offer you a course on godly instruction, and In the other, I was going to offer you uh, an envelope filled with cash, which one would you take? Don't answer that. Don't answer that don't answer that. But Solomon says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. The wisdom of God is more precious than money than anything we can ask for. That's what it's trying to get across. Do you believe that? The Bible says that. But many times we go after money and, and all kinds of things that we can get with money and stuff like that. But he says, no, the wisdom of God is superior to money. We have to believe what the scriptures say and not waste our time going after all the other things to say, no, God, I want your wisdom first in my life. Doesn't, doesn't mean we don't need money. It's necessary. We need it. We use it, right? But it can't be the first priority. Good relationships are superior to money. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17, you have that passage. Proverbs 15, verse 17. It says, better is a meal of vegetables, where there is love, than a fattened calf with hatred. The idea is I'd rather have soup with somebody that I get along with than your best choice steak money can buy with somebody I don't get along with. Or in other words, I'd rather have a simple meal with good company than a great meal with bad company, is what it's talking about. Good company, good relationships, loving relationships it's talking about, uh, are superior to what money can purchase in those interactions. Humility is superior to money. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19, it says humility is superior to money. It says, better to be lowly in spirit, humble, and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. It's better to be humble than, than to have riches. Let me ask you a question. Is money producing pride in you this morning? You say, boy, I you know, I've got money, so I'm feeling really good about myself and, and I'm prideful and I don't really need anything else because I've got money, or are your heart soft and receptive to the Holy Spirit and what he has to say to you. There's so many times when we get money and we think we have some money, pride produces in our life. Do you view money that you recognize the source of your resources of your money? Do you realize that everything you have comes from God? Do you recognize that in your own life? That everything you have comes from God? You say, no, I made this, no. Who gave you the ability to think and gave you the back to have that strength to work and and the abilities, the gifts, and the talents, and the skills that you have? It was God that gave you that, right? So everything you do, God gave you that. And to realize that he's the resource of everything we have. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In the context of Luke chapter 12 is anxiety and worry. It's just not the love of money, but it's saying that the issue is also the anxiety and worry that accomplish, that accompanies money. So how are we doing with that, with anxiety and worry in our life with money? And many times what it was going on is we're thinking, do I have enough? And wondering, do I have enough? Am I gonna have enough? And I don't know with inflation with gas prices up so high and food prices so high. Am I going to have enough? Or maybe you're getting ready for retirement. Or you're in retirement. Think, am I going to have enough to sustain me? There's a constant struggle there, the battle, the fights, the arguments, the talks, all of it. I think in our society we struggle with that in major ways. And don't let your identity be impacted by what you have. Don't look at yourself and say, well, that we are defined by what we have, what we own, or what we consume. So how are you doing with money? Do you look at what I have and we measure it by, I'm doing all right. The first thing that comes to your mind, I'm doing all right because I have a house, I have a car, I have this. Is that how you view it? The things that you have, and your life consists of things. That's how you view your life. Or is your heart soft and humble and receptive to what God has to say about your money? Are you looking to God and dependent upon Him? The second principle regarding godly wealth is to honor the Lord with your money. To honor the Lord with your money. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. If you could turn your Bibles there. Proverbs chapter 3. I know we kind of go there fast. I'm kind of you, giving you sword drills this morning and seeing if we can get there first. Proverbs chapter 3. But we're just really in one book that's all I'm asking to be in. There's only 31 chapters there, so it shouldn't be too hard. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Maybe you already know what I'm going to say. I'm going to talk a little bit about tithing here this morning. And hopefully you allow me to do that this morning, that you won't turn me off. I need to talk about it because I need to. We need to talk about it. And because it's in the Word of God, we have to talk about it, right? And the first thing I want to say tithing and giving are not some heroic, ultimate level of spiritual maturity. Sometimes people think it's that. It's, it's like the upper echelon of the Christians. Those are the ones that tithe. Those are the ones that really tithe. Others maybe just give a little, but the ones that truly tithe are those ultimate spiritual maturity person, mature person. Do you know what the Bible, how the Bible views about tithing and giving? It's basic entry-level obedience. It's Christianity 101 it's the first things we do, that once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's the first thing we do. We don't wait till I get this level that God says, no, you give. Now that you're a follower of Jesus, we're to give him our tithe. We're not to question it, we're to give him our tithe, is what we're supposed to do. We're to do that. Randy Alcorn did a study a few years back about ancient Israelites and he calculated they gave about 23% of their income. Imagine that. I know it's different times and different culture and different tax culture, but the point is still relevant today. Christianity Today magazine uh, did a study a while back, and I believe it was John Dickerson that wrote this. He said that the average American evangelical, they tithe around 2.5% of their annual income. Think about that. The point that it is really revealing, because it demonstrates to us that, that the law of Moses, that the ancient Israelites, Israelites function under, apparently was 10 times more effective than the grace that Jesus offers in the gospel. Do you believe that? That's what it shows. Or put it another way, when it comes to giving, people are 10 times more responsive to the law of Moses than they are the grace of Jesus in the Gospels. Obviously something's wrong, right? Something's not right. And do you realize that giving is part of our worship? It's not you, I worship God and then my giving's over. No giving is part of your worship. If you say I'm a worshiper of God, then we give our tithe. That's normal. That's what we do. That's a sacrifice. We come and we offer our tithes to God. But many people say, well, this is the New Testament. We're not under law. We're under grace. And that's true. So the principle must be we give whatever we want. The problem with that, at least the stats show, we don't like much, we don't like to give too much, do we? That's what it shows. And so what do we do with that? What do we really do with that if we're giving like that? See, the absence of the law does not mean the absence of responsibility or the absence of discipline. It does not mean that. Living under grace does not mean that God no longer expects anything from us. God expects many things from us. And so Jesus always raised the bar in the law. Do you realize that? He always did. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He said, you've heard it said, not to murder. But I say, if you look at your brother angry, you've committed murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, he says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He always, always raised the bar in the Old Testament. He never lowered it. So when it comes to giving, Jesus would raise the bar on that and say, yeah you give here, but that's just a starting point where we're to give. And the Bible says, will you honor him with your money? Will you give to God first? Will you give generously? And I know right now it's kind of hard because of inflation, and I understand that. Gas prices are highest I think I've ever seen in my life. And even back many years ago, back in the 70s, I think it's even higher now when you have inflation. But it, the food is high and everything like that. But it's not to take apart from our giving. Do you understand that? Giving is always requires sacrifice, always does. And giving shows where your priorities are do I put God first? Or all these other things, priorities. Now I'm not saying God wants you to take from your food, but maybe there's other things that we should be sacrificing from, and not from our giving, not from our tithing, to give to God. Because it's part of our worship. And God wants us to give. He tells us to give. And we're to give. And when we don't give, when we don't give our tithe, we're showing God you're not that I have a place in my life. I don't have you as a priority in my life. And other things come as higher priorities in our life is what happens. Giving is really in your tithe. It's really, are you trusting God? That's what it comes down to. Do you really trust God? And that's going to be our third point. The second point, honor the Lord with your money. The third principle that we have is trust God with your money. Do you trust him? That's what it comes down to. Do you really trust God? If you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, comes down, if I really trust God, then I have no problem of honoring God with my money. I have no problem of giving my tithe and and offering. I have no problem of doing that, right, if we really trust him. The second part of verse 8 in Proverbs chapter 30, the writer writes, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread Otherwise, they may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Two temptations, he, say, he brings up. He says, one is poverty, he talks about, and which tempts us to gain the resources we need through illegitimate means. The second one is wealth, which tempts us to forget about all, God altogether. and Say, God, I don't really need you. We're not focused on him because, God, I'm able to provide everything that I need. And we have this in our mind, that look at all the things that I have. I don't need you, God, in my life. And that's what we say many times when we have money. We have wealth. I don't need you, God. I don't need you in my life. I can do my own thing because I don't really need you. And I love the prayer that we see here that is mentioned here at the end of verse 8. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. That should sound familiar to us because somebody else said words that are very similar to that. They told us to pray those words, right? That Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 11, he says, give us today our daily bread. And what that means is total dependence upon God for everything. Total dependence upon God and all that he's entrusted to you. That every day, God, I'm dependent upon you. Doesn't matter how much money I think I have. I'm dependent upon you. Because there's things that are more important than money, right? Your health. You can have all the money you have, but your health you don't have your health, you have nothing, right? You have all these things. Wisdom of God is more important. So we can look at many times our wealth and God says, no, I want you to be dependent upon me and realize that wealth that you think you have can be taken in one moment. I provided that for you to use for my glory. Use for my good is what God does. He gives us those kind of things to be used for his glory. And so many times when God provides us the wealth, we think it's for us only for me. And we forget about giving it to God. Seems like sometimes, it doesn't matter how much money we have, but sometimes the more money we get, the more we want to hold on to it, right? The more we want to hold on and want to protect what we have and things like that. Protect all that. And God says, no, don't live your life like that. But to honor God with your wealth and trust God with your wealth. When we're trusting other things besides God in our life, uh, they becomes an idol. And idolaters do three things with their idols is is when, what they do. They they love them, they trust them, and they obey them. And, And money can become an idol very quickly in people's life, and so many times it's very subtle. And you don't even recognize that money is an idol in your life. You don't even recognize it, that it's there. It's right there in front of you. It's there. Richard Foster said money is an idol that we must be converted from in order to be converted to Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves and really be open and ask the Holy Spirit to really convict us in our heart. Do we trust God with what he has given us? Because everything you have has been given to you by God. He's the source of everything you have. Do You realize that, right? He's the source. He's the one that's enabled you to have the job, able you to have the health, able you to have the mind, the skill set, able you to have the strength. Whatever you do, it comes from God. He's able to do that. Do you realize that? Can you trust in what he's given to you? Do you trust him with your finances? and say, God, these aren't my finances. They're yours. And some of you might be saying, I'm glad because I got so much debt, God. I'm glad to give it to you. But do you trust Him with it? And we're to trust Him with our debts. We are. We're to trust Him with everything. God, I'm going to give this to you. Help me to be good stewards of what you've given me. And just because I have debt, let me just say this, doesn't mean I don't give to God. Remember, your tithing indicates who's first in your life. How can we put ourselves, as I said last week, in the blessing, uh, in the path of God's blessings, if we're not doing the things that God has called us to do by giving our tithe. So many times we say, God, I want you to bless my finances. I want you to bless uh, how much money I have. And God says, well, put yourself in the pathway of blessing. Give your tithe and watch me bless you. Give our tithe. That's how we do it. We put ourselves in the pathway of God's blessing. We can't ask God to bless us and help me in my finances if we're not in doing what God says is obedient to his word. Do we trust him with our resources, with everything that we have? With all that you have, do you trust him with those? Are you saying no, they're mine. I got to hold on to them. I got to make sure and protect them. Do we trust him to provide for us? So I can freely give, God, because I know you're going to provide for my needs. Do we trust him like that, really in our lives? If you look at a dollar bill, on the back of a dollar bill, what does it say? In God we trust. Can we, for a moment, just put away the political thing, not make it a political thing or a national thing, but if we can make it a personal thing. In God we trust. It says, in God we trust. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really trust God with your money? Or are you constantly worrying about your money, anxious and arguing and pursuing your money, pursuing the God of mammon, as it was called, the kind of a false deity of riches and wealth, that you seek that so much? That's what I want. That's what I really crave for, to have more money. You may not say it out loud because it doesn't sound good, but really seek to have that more money, the bigger bank account and all those kind of things. Do you really seek that? The fourth principle regarding godly wealth is be generous and not greedy. Let's be conduits of money. That's what God has called us to be. Conduits of money. God gives it to us. Let's not be hoarders of money. Let's not be reservoirs of money. They would say, man, I want to just bring it in. God, just keep giving it to me so I can just hold on to it. No, God said, I want you to be conduits of money. I bless you so you can bless others, so you can give. That's what God wants. So you can use it for God's glory. That's what He wants. If you watch TV or anything on the internet or stuff, those shows that we watch shape us and influence us, right? They, they shape us in all kinds. Our culture shapes us and what we think and how, what things that we do. From very young ages to all ages, it shapes us. And it just drives us toward the love of money. It drives us towards the pursuit of, of, of greed in our society and our culture. Towards the position of being a consumer. You just ask, why does our culture do that? It constantly bombards us with those things. It does that because if we're not a consumer, then we don't purchase. And if we don't purchase, then our economy falls apart. So they're constantly bombarding us and focusing you and I upon, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. You need more. You need more. You need more. Because it drives our economy. And so the retailers are going to start coming out. What do we have coming up? About six months from now. Five months. Six months. We're going to have Christmas coming up. So you're going to start seeing the commercials and all those kind of come to remind you of Christmas. So you don't have enough. You're going to need this. You're going to need this. Even if our children are very young ages where they start looking around and say, boy, I, I want that toy, and I want that toy. I want that new video game, and I want that new video system. Even though they have 50 video games in that system, we want more because the consumers, they understand I mean, the retail, they understand that, that we need more, need more to drive the economy. Make us all consumers. Make us all want to spend and all do that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another with, withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. We ought to be generous with our money. That's what God wants. Open-handed what God has given us. Not be closed hands No, no God. It's, it's all for me. It's all for me. It's the song we say. It's not to us, but that God be the glory, right? It's not for us. Our money's not for us. It's for God's glory. To give it to him, allow God to use it for his glory. Uh, when we are generous to the poor, we honor God. And we're blessed by him is when we do that. When we give to those in need. God wants us to give not only to the church or tithe, but also to give those people in need and help people. And he blesses us to do that many times. And we think, oh, I got all the extra money so I can do all these other things. But God many times blesses us to do that. But this is a reminder of our Savior who served us in our greatest time of need. And I want to read a passage to, to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The, the Apostle Paul wrote, he, sa- he writes this, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich— Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's amazing what the gospel does, and what it, it does for us. That Jesus had infinite wealth, that he's the God-man, is what the Bible says. But if he would have held on to his wealth, you and I would have all died in our spiritual poverty, is what it's saying. But because he gave up all that, and he died poor, is what the Bible says, we die rich and are accepted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul is saying that Jesus gave up all the treasures in heaven. It's saying so that we might become his treasure. And as we become his treasure through faith, he becomes our treasure. This is what it is. You want treasures? Jesus is your treasure is what he's saying. And we are his treasure. It works both ways. So the solution to greed, the solution to greed is I want more and all this kind of stuff, is reorientation to the generosity of Christ And the gospel, to really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very important to understand that. The solution to greed is reorient our lives and our minds and our hearts around the generosity of the gospel itself. That we find, that's where we find the solution. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not, is the solution for greed and many other things in our life. So we don't need to worry about our wealth. Why don't we need to worry about our wealth? Because the cross proves that God will take care of all of our needs, right? Infinitely, eternally, spiritually. The Bible tells us that Christ, in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing in heaven. That all the riches in heaven are ours because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's all ours. We're co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. Because of the gospel. So we don't have to want riches, because everything in heaven is going to be ours. We're going to be reigned with Christ, is what the Bible says. Because of the gospel, we don't need to be envious. The cross brings a status that money cannot buy. And so the gospel is the solution. That when we think about that, I'm a child of God, the Bible says. That I, I belong to a royal priesthood now as a believer in Jesus Christ. That now God says that you are co-heirs and you're going to reign with Jesus. There's no higher calling. There's no higher status. That God took us from the lowest we could be, raised us above the angels, didn't make us divine, but the next best thing. And Jesus. That's what we have. That's where he's taken us. That the angels will be ministering spirits to us. That's where he's brought us. That we have the highest status that you can possibly be kept, so we don't have to look for a status because we have the greatest status there can be we're in the family of god we have the greatest status the money can't buy that money can't save us from the hopelessness and chaos and tragedy that we find in a world and we know that but the gospel can all the chaos that we see in in the big cities and all the violence and and stuff where we see almost every day you're reading about younger kids and stuff beating up older people it's just amazing that i, I don't remember ever seeing anything like, like that we're seeing the mass shootings in in, in chicago if i don't know if you watch the follow news in chicago all the people are being shot every day and through the weekends it's just not a couple it's 50 60 70 every weekend in chicago we see that we see the war in ukraine it's chaos it's tragedy all around us the only one that can save us the only person that can save us is jesus through the gospel of jesus christ and it saves us not temporarily, but for eternity, right? It's just not through this life, but it's forever. Only the gospel can do that. To the measure we understand the gospel, money has no dominion or authority over us. And that's great. The more I understand the gospel, the more I cling to the gospel, then I don't have to worry about the money then, because God will take care of that. That's what he promises. So let me close with this thought, because it's fascinating to me that although we live in the wealthiest society the world has ever known, the common mentality, the merit. American evangelical, or the American in general, is that we live in scarcity. We live with a scarcity mentality so many times. Uh, Not enough, need more, I'm anxious. Not enough, I need more, I'm anxious. Not enough, I need more, I need more, I'm anxious. A scarcity mentality is we live with. I mean, you talk to people, they're always wondering, do I got enough? Do I got enough? If we're honest with ourselves, we said, yeah, we think about that. That is so different from the gospel and the kingdom of God, and the ways of the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. It's so different. It's not like that at all, what Jesus was talking about. In Matthew chapter 14, remember when Jesus fed 5,000 people? And who needed some food, some basic resources, and he fed, a, he fed him with what? A few loaves of bread and a few fish, right? Were there any leftovers? Yes, there were leftovers. How many baskets? Twelve basketfuls were left over, right? Twelve basketfuls. And then in Matthew 15, the very next chapter, he feeds 4,000 people that needed some food. Were there any leftovers? Yes, there were leftovers. How many? Seven basketfuls of leftovers. In Christ, we don't have scarcity; we have abundance. In those two illustrations, to give you an eye, that God provided for those people's needs, but He provided more. They had everything they needed right there, all the food they wanted, but there was leftovers. That God always gives us what we need in abundance left over. Always. Always. God provides for our needs. Look at your own life. And he always provides even more. That's our God. Because he's filled with grace. And he gives us so much. Because in Christ we have been giving in abundance. We don't have to live in scarcity. But we bought into this idea of scarcity. That we live that way. That we're or We don't have enough. Do I need more? God, I need your help. I need more. I need, we're always asking for more. And God says, why do you worry? Why are you so anxious about these things? See, when I, when I talk about that we're going to live in abundance, that doesn't mean material wealth. So many times we go right to material wealth. Then I'm to have all this. That means the family of God collectively, what the Bible talks about, we're going to have everything we need. The family of God collectively will always have enough resources necessary that will take care of one another. Be able to accomplish the will of God. Always. And that's right in this Church of Crossroads right here. If all of us collectively give our tithes, get our time and our talent, we're going to have all the resources necessary to take care of one another and accomplish God's will that He has for us. But it takes all of us doing our part, right? That God gives us abundance. We have abundance through Christ. Not scarcity, but abundance. All of us have. We have abundance. That's what Jesus does. Are you living with the scarcity mentality? Think about that. Do I have enough? I need more. I need to put this away. I need to do this. I need to do this. Are you living with the abundance that the gospel brought to you? Because when you look at the gospel, you look at Jesus, it's an abundance. We have an abundance. See, don't worry about the future. The future will take care of itself because I'll be there. I'll take care of you, right? I'm not saying we go out and we spend foolishly. I'm not saying that. But we have to be good stewards of what God has given us. But God wants us to live in the wealth that He's provided not always just material things, the spiritual wealth. That Jesus is more than enough. So we can honor him with our money. Amen. We can honor him with our money. Say, God, I want to honor you. Don't you want to honor him with your money? Not just spend it, but say, God, I want to honor you. I want to give my tithe. I want to help other people with my money. Don't we want to do that? That we could trust him with our money. Amen. That he's going to provide in the future. No one is going to provide that. I don't have to worry. If I give this, we want to hold on so tight that if I give this, I may not have enough to pay that. Trust God. Say, God, that you promise you'll provide. I can give what you've called me to give in my tithe. I can give and help these other people trusting you for the rest. That's what tithing is. Do you realize that? It's a sacrifice. Give from the first. Give your first to him and trust God for the rest to pay your bills and all the other things that you have. Trust him first. and That's what we're doing. Trusting God. God, I'm going to give to you, and I'm going to trust you for the rest. We can be generous with our money, right? We can be generous. Because what what Jesus has done, what he's done through the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection, when we see that, the gospel, when we see what Jesus did on the cross, that he has died, was buried, and raised from the dead, we realize he has proven to us that we can trust him, that he's going to take care of all our needs. Because he took care of your greatest need, your sin problem, right? And he says all these other things are secondary I'll take care of you. He talks about that in his Sermon on the Mount. I know that you need food. I know you need clothing. I know you need a place to live. I know that. And I promise to take care of you. Don't I take care of the birds and, and the animals and all those kind of things? Don't I take care of all that? God promises to take care of us. So we have to trust him with what we have. Amen? If, if you were here today and you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you're here today saying, but I want to know what it means to be rich in Christ. I want to know what it means to be, have my sins forgiven. To understand this, that God loves you so much, and He wants to have a relationship with you. And He wants this. But because you and I are sinners, we can't approach a holy, just, perfect, righteous God. So we're separated from Him. So God sent His Son, Jesus, from heaven to this earth, and Jesus came to this earth, and He went to the cross, and God placed all those things that separate you and I from God all of mine, all of yours, all those of the people of the world. All those sins. And Jesus died on the cross for all your past, your present, and future sins. They've been paid in full by Jesus. And now you and I can approach a holy God, but we have to come to him through his way that he's provided. And the only way, I say it again, the only way that he has provided is through his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. There's only one way. No matter what everybody else is saying, it's one way, and it's through Jesus. None of us are good enough to get there. You will never be good enough. There's only one that is good, and who is it? It's Jesus, and he's the one that died on the cross for our sins and paid the full payment. So all we have to do is come and put our faith and trust in Jesus, Except what he did on the cross for us, we find forgiveness of sins. We belong to the family of God, and our hope in eternity is in Jesus. And he promises to be with us and guide us and direct us and provide for our needs, right? And we got to do our part, but God promises to provide for our needs. All of us, all of us here, let's honor God with our wealth. Let's honor him. And we do that by giving. We do that. Honor him with your wealth. When you hold on to it, and you don't recognize God with your wealth they're giving him your full tithe. You're saying, God, I don't need you. I've got this. I'm going to handle this. We say, but God, I need your blessing. Give him your tithe and watch what he does. I've talked to a couple people here. They told me over the years that some didn't tithe a few years ago and they started tithing and God provided jobs and God provided other things for them so they could give. It'd be amazing what God can do in our lives. The next is, is trust God with your money. Trust him. He knows what he's doing better than you do. He can make that hot water heater last a long time. He can do all kinds of things for you. Be generous in your giving. Don't hold on to it. Say, I gotta hold on because I don't know when the next dollar I'm gonna get. In the back of it, it says, a God, we trust. Do you really trust him with your money? Trust him with your money. Give generously. Tithe and, and give generously to those in need. And watch what God does in your life. I'm not promising that God promises wealth. He doesn't promise that in the Bible. That's not found in, in scripture. Promise to make you wealthy. He does promise. He to meet your needs. Where we get abundance and wealth is spiritually. He does promise that. He promised you spiritual wealth. That's what he wants for every one of us, abundance. And that abundance is always found in Jesus Christ and he's talking spiritually. He promises you and I physically provide for your needs, not your wants, your needs. And he's done that to every one of you because every one of you, I look at you, you're dressed so nice. You're dressed so nice, you've got your hair co- God is, prom- he's, he's been faithful, has he not? Can't we say that God has been faithful so if God has been so faithful to us through the cross, let's show him that uh, we understand what he's done and now we give back to him. And that's what our tithe's about. That's what our serving's all about. That's what our obedience. But we don't do one. I don't serve and say, now I don't have to give. We don't give and say, now I don't have to give. God expects both. Use your talents and to use your resources. Tithe and to serve. We're called to do both. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because, God, sometimes teachings are hard and difficult and they're sensitive and they're a touchy topic to us because, Lord, it speaks to things of the heart, which is money for many of us. It goes right to that where we hold on so deeply to. We work hard for it, Lord, and we believe, Lord, sometimes that we deserve what we have because we've done it all and we don't give you any credit, we don't give you the glory, and we want to take all the fame of what we've done. Lord, humble us help us to realize that everything that we have, everything, every meal, every time we, we were able to pay our mortgage or our utilities, let's be thankful to you that you provided another month. That's how we're supposed to look at it. it totally dependent upon you. For every time we're able to go to pay for the groceries, God, you provided another week. We go to a restaurant, God, you provided I'm able to eat at this restaurant. Let us be thankful. Let us realize, Lord, that everything we have, you're the source of all of our resources that it goes back to you. That's why we want to honor you, give you thankful, be thankful to you all that we have. Help us, Lord, if we're not honoring you with our wealth. Lord, help us to do that in our own hearts and minds. Lord, confront us this morning, convict us. Help us to put you in the right place with our money. Lord, that you're above our money. You're more important than our money. Lord, help us to trust you with our money, that we might trust you with it, that, Lord, we say, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances, Lord, and that you're going to be in control of my finances and my tithe, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to trust you for the rest. Help us to be generous and not, not greedy. Help us to be generous to others when they're in need. We're willing to help, Lord, We're willing to, to sacrifice. The, the giving is all about sacrificing. Help us to learn that, Lord, of how Jesus sacrificed for us with, for our greatest need so we can be spiritually wealthy, that we may be willing to sacrifice for others so we can help them lord sometimes it's just something very small sometimes it's not really money it's helping somebody to do something but if it is money lord help us to to be sensitive to your leading and guide us and give us wisdom in those areas lord love you and praise you and lord help with help us one way that we come across this and understand this better by understanding that lord the gospel of jesus christ reorients our lives to understand that you are in control that you promised to provide everything, that we belong to you, that we are your treasure and you are ours. So everything that we need is found in Jesus, that you will guide us and lead us. That we come to understand the goodness of God in our lives, Lord. That's what we need. We need to come to just to understand that you're so good all the time to us, that you've been faithful, been faithful in the past, you're going to be faithful today, you're going to be faithful in the future. You will never, ever, ever, ever let us down. And Lord, when we understand about your goodness and understand what you've already done for us, let's help us to better to understand you for today and to trust you today. I pray, Lord, you to raise up in our hearts and minds that we can trust you, that there's many more things more important than money. And God, that you would be on the top of the shelf, that you are first in our lives. And Lord, we seek wisdom. We seek humility. We seek relationships with other people. That's what you want for us, Lord, before our money ever comes in, into our hearts and our minds. Those are the things that are important to you. And so, Lord, I ask for your blessing on each one of us. But I ask, Lord, that we would put ourselves in the pathway of your blessing by being obedient to your word, what the word of God says to us. We want your blessing. We've got to put ourselves in the pathway. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us be guided by your word, guided by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to do what you've called us to be obedient to you. And we ask for your blessings. This morning, Lord, as we continue to sing, Let us sing about the goodness of God, how you're so, so good. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.